Thank you for that warm introduction. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning at Green Meadow. It's always a pleasure to be able to come and worship with you. If you turn in your Bible with me to Acts chapter 11, I'd like to share a few verses with you. Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, admittedly, that's sort of an odd passage for a visiting preacher to choose as a text, isn't it? Kind of random. Especially considering that we have the entire Bible from which to choose. I mean, why not something like Psalm 23, for instance? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures or green meadows even. He leads me besides quiet, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a, a, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will be with me, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now there's a scripture to build a message from, isn't it? All right, back to Acts chapter 11. There's two things I'd like you to notice here. First, the church was scattered. See there in verse 19, it says, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Now, I teach every week at Maple Root Baptist Church down the road a little bit. We're doing a series of messages through the chapter of Acts. That's why we're here today, so I can keep the momentum going. But I think there's a, a, a message for us here. Now, you don't have the background of the last several messages, but you know the story of Stephen, don't you? You can refer to it back in Acts chapter 6 and, and 7. It says the church was scattered, or those who had been scattered, by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Stephen was a, an interesting man. He was a good man. The Bible says he was full of it, full of power full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, full of strength. I always say to the folks at Maple Root, it would be great if we put on a sign out in front of the church, we're full of it. And if people drove by, wouldn't it be great if they looked at this church and said, now there's a church that's full of it. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power, full of faith. The, one of the themes of the start of the church as you go through the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit filled the believers and over and over again, you hear that, you see that phrase. And we go back to Acts chapter 6, you'd see Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power, and full of faith. Spent most of his time making sure the needs of the widows in the community were met and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus. 
And for that, the religious leaders hated him. Everyone who proclaimed the gospel was a threat to the established order. And they wanted to do away with the way. The new teaching about Jesus and about his resurrection. In fact, they hated him so much that they put him on trial and then they executed him at the very end of it. He made his defense and it says when they got to the end, they gnashed their teeth at him. They were so angry. And they stoned him. Threw big rocks at him until he died. And it says at the beginning of chapter 8 that on that very day, a great persecution broke out against the church. So when you get here to Acts chapter 11, it says, those who had been scattered, who's it talking about? How many people had been scattered? If you go back to chapter 8, verse 2, it says, all except the apostles. So thousands of people that had joined the church. It was a day of tremendous change for the church. Up until this time, the Christian church had started in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was like a magnet. Everybody who wanted to hear the gospel, everybody who wanted to find out what was going on with the the rise of this new movement, the church, they came to Jerusalem. And thousands of believers were added to the congregation. And now in one instant, it seemed, it went from being a magnet in Jerusalem to being an eruption, an explosion, a disbursement, spewing out, sending the believers everywhere. All except the apostles. Now, according to Merriam-Webster, scattered means to dispense, to break up, to destroy. It has the connotation of being, causing to separate widely, so widely and so quickly as though to vanish. Casting in all directions, violently, spewing. And when things are scattered, often they're divided up into ineffectual small groups or small portions. Scattering is not good in that sense. The attended effect of the persecution on the church was to break it up and destroy it. Scattering, in effect, equaled weakening. By dispersing the Christians from thousands of people gathered together there where there was a perception of strength, Scattering them broadly, they end up in small groups and eventually become ineffectual. By keeping pressure on the church, the followers of Jesus would eventually give up and disappear. The followers would conclude, ultimately, that continuing to follow wasn't worth it, that the cost of following was too great. There was too much to forfeit. Now, we don't get persecuted in the way they were persecuted for their faith, not often here, not yet anyway. But we have our enemy, Satan, who causes us to want to give up sometimes, to ask, where is God? Why are these things happening? How can my faith be stronger? There are many ways that Satan attacks us, through challenges in relationships, through challenges in finance, through bad breaks that come our way, seemingly undeserved, by getting the dreaded disease. Many things can cause us to feel like they felt, in addition to the persecution that they had. Continuing to follow just isn't worth it, can be the conclusion we sometimes come to. But you see, the people who were persecuting the church back then, and Satan himself forgets One thing, you can find it in verse 21 of Acts chapter 11. 
it says the Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand was with them. And that changes everything. And you know what? That's the message of Psalm 23 too. That's a song written by David. A song of comfort and confidence and power and direction despite challenges and difficulties. Verse 4 of that psalm, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You could also say that this way. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the most difficult time, the most challenging circumstance, the greatest uncertainty. What does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? Why not? That's the time that you would fear. That's the time you would be scared. I walk through the darkest valley, the greatest uncertainty, the greatest challenge, the greatest persecution. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's what he says to the Lord. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. doesn't get rid of the enemies, but right in the midst of the difficulty, the confidence of the sheep is with the shepherd. Your rod and your staff comfort me. The sheep is not afraid when the shepherd's there. God's hand was with them. And I have good news for you this morning. You know this. I want to encourage you with it. We have a scattered shepherd. Now, don't take that the wrong way. Scattered in the sense that he meets us where we are. He meets us in our need. In the places where the church was scattered, the Holy Spirit went. The Spirit of Christ was there. In the place you find yourself, he's there. As you trust in him. Critically important to add that part. As you trust in him. See, God doesn't force himself or his way on you. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it was a, a prophet was sent to King Asa. He had followed God wholeheartedly for a long time, and then he had fallen away. He started to rely on himself and his own wisdom and the resources at his disposal, and he didn't call on God. And a prophet went to him to remind him, he said, don't you know that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him? He was saying, fully commit your heart to God. Don't just look at your circumstances. But Asa was at a place where he wouldn't do it. And you go a little further in that chapter, and it says that he did not turn to the Lord. In fact, he put the prophet in prison. And it says in the 39th year of his reign, he got a very bad illness in his feet, a disease in his feet. He couldn't walk. And despite the severity of the illness, it says he did not seek help from the Lord, but only trusted in the physicians. How sad. How sad. The strength of God, the presence of God was there at his disposal. All he had to do was trust. See, trusting and obeying. Trusting the truth of the word of God. And obeying his commands are critical to enjoying the power of God's presence. God says, my presence will be with you as you trust in me. Trusting and obeying are critical to knowing and feeling the comfort 
of the rod and staff of the great shepherd. The scattered church experienced this. If you go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It's very interesting. They were being scattered because they preached the word. They were being scattered because of their testimony. And as they were scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. What a picture. This wasn't just a leisurely, hey, let's leave Jerusalem and go some other places. This was, the soldiers are coming in the front door, and if you want your life to be preserved, you better get out the back door or jump out the side window really quickly. So if you get that picture, they're coming in the front door to arrest them and ultimately to kill some of them like they had done to Stephen. And they're escaping by the skin of their teeth, so to speak, out the back door, running and fleeing for their lives, being scattered in fear. Yet in that fear, having the confidence that God was with them, and so they continue to do the very thing for which they're being scattered, preaching the word. It's the same thing we see recorded here in the 11th chapter of Acts. Look at what it says there in verse 19. They were getting scattered further and further and further away because of the persecution. Some traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And what did they do? Take up new jobs? Try to work undercover? uh, Get a different name so nobody could find them? No. What did they do? They told the message. They were scattered to these far places, and they kept telling the message. Some of them only to Jews, but others from Cyprus and Cyrene. They came to Antioch as well, and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So the further they got scattered, the more telling they did. Telling, telling, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. And they saw fruit from their efforts. Look at the end of verse 21 there in Acts 11. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Even in an atmosphere of persecution, the good news prevailed because of the faithfulness of the followers They saw fruit from their efforts despite their trials and their difficulties. And the fruit was the evidence that God indeed was with them. A great number of people believed. And then news got to the church in Jerusalem and reinforcements were sent in. Look at verse 22 there. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. To tell them, don't give up. Stay true to the Lord. He's with you. Barnabas was a good man. You know, his name was actually Joseph. You can find out at the end of chapter 4 of Acts. His name was Joseph. They called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because that's how his life was characterized by just encouraging people. And look at the end there of verse 24. Talking about Barnabas, he was full of it, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So despite the best efforts of the opponents of Christ to scatter the church, more and more people believed. God's purposes were accomplished. See, one of the things that they were learning, and I believe God would have us learn today and in our lives, is that if you're a sheep... Having the shepherd with you makes all the difference. 
If we know that He's with us and we press in and we follow Him and we trust Him and we obey Him, His will is accomplished and His work gets done. And I want to give you this morning two timeless principles from the Word of God. These words are not in Scripture just like this, but we can take these principles from Scripture. The first one is this. Safety is not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of the Lord. Safety is not in the absence of danger, it's in the presence of the Lord. The promise of God with us is that we don't have to be afraid. That's what David wrote in Psalm 23. Despite the trials, despite the difficulties, despite walking through the the valley of the shadow of death. The end was written from the beginning. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our destiny. Someone once said that the best day for every believing Christian is the day we die. Because then we transition through death into life eternal. We had a song this morning that said, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin, no more trial, no more difficulty. That's our destiny. The verse just before that in Psalm 23, our, our ultimate destiny, final destination is we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But before that, surely goodness and mercy or goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Here's the other principle. It doesn't say God's promise is not that the going will always be easy but that he'll always keep us going. Got a job for us to do. And the going may not be easy, but he'll keep us going. And we'll feel his, the power of his presence will bring us peace. So that along with David, we'll say, surely goodness and love will follow me. Didn't say finances and wealth and only good relationships, and no struggles, no challenges. He said, surely goodness and love will follow me. That's the presence of the Lord he's talking about. Your sustainer and protector, your shepherd, We'll do it, this promise. He'll provide. He'll be with you as you trust and follow him. He'll be with you until he brings you home. It's a promise all through Scripture. I'd like to take a quick look at some of the places that Scripture brings us home. You know, Abraham was given a promise that was fulfilled in Christ. But when Abraham was given a promise, it didn't seem like it would be fulfilled. It seemed like it would be fulfilled against all odds. Abraham finally had the son Isaac in whom the promise was to be fulfilled. But do you think Isaac was like us? When would the promise be fulfilled? Don't we want it right now? How long do we have to wait? How how does the promise get fulfilled, Lord? Well, Isaac was living in uncertainty with the promise yet unfulfilled and probably discouraged. If you go to Genesis chapter 25, you find that Abraham dies. And not only did his father die, he was facing a famine in the land. And so here Isaac is, without his dad, and facing a famine, and a promise unfulfilled. And the Lord meets him and tells him not to go down to Egypt in the famine. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 26 says, The Lord speaking to Isaac, Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. The promise that God gave him was not a timetable of when the the promise would ultimately be fulfilled, but he said, I'll be with you and I'll bless you. Stay here. It was a rough place to stay. He was living in the land of the Philistines. And I, I bet you he was encouraged for a while, but life went on and on and on and on. And he had some ups and downs with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. 
And then he planted a, a, a crop and he, he had a hundredfold increase. And it says the Lord made him wealthy. It said it made him very wealthy. And you know what happened? The Philistines got very jealous. And they said, get away from us. You're too powerful for us. And there was a lot of tension. This went on for a long time. Later in that chapter, it says the Lord, because Isaac was struggling with it a little bit. It says that night, Genesis chapter 26, verse 24, that night the Lord appeared to him. God gave him additional encouragement and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. That's what God said. That's what he says to us today. Don't be afraid, not because all your problems are going to go away. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Isaac's son Jacob is a family that was filled with tension and strife. You can go and read, you know, you know about some of the relationships. Jacob and his brother Esau, a lot of problems. Ultimately, Jacob flees for his life and he goes to live with his uncle Laban. He gets this kind of crazy deal where he's going to work for seven years so he can marry the younger daughter. And then he ends up, Laban does a, a, a substitute move on him and he marries the older daughter and then he has to work another seven years. So he's there a long time. And things get to a place where they're not going very well. And the promise, still unfulfilled. And in Genesis 31, God says to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. Genesis 31, 3. Go back to the land of your relatives, and I will be with you. That sounds easy enough. He's saying, go home. Go home to your family. But as we've already referenced, he'd left his family fearing for his life because his brother was going to kill him. That's how angry they were. It was, a, it, was a, it was a family filled with contention, strife and rivalry. And now God says, go home. And he's afraid to go home. But God's basis for sending him back or to give him confidence in going back is, I will be with you. Go, I'll be with you. Jacob's son, Joseph, if you look at Genesis 39, Genesis 39.2 says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And in Genesis 39.21, it says the Lord was with Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Ah, now we're getting somewhere, right? But the context of that, the context of that, that first verse I just quoted, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered, but the rest of the verse says, in the house of his Egyptian master. He was a slave against his will, sold by his own brothers into slavery. And God didn't get him out of slavery. It says the Lord was with him and he prospered in slavery. And the next verse in, uh, that I read, verse 21 of that same chapter, where it says he showed him kindness, God showed Joseph kindness and granted him favor, in prison, falsely accused, wrongly sent to prison. He didn't get out of prison right away. This was in prison. And when it says, granted him favor, the rest of the verse says, in the eyes of the prison warden. And that led Joseph's faithfulness in that situation, Joseph's faith, faithfulness despite those circumstances led to God's great delivery of the nation of Israel. And Joseph did prosper. It didn't seem like it right away. Remember the cupbearer and the baker? They had dreams in prison. And Joseph interpreted their dreams. And to the cupbearer, he said, you're going to be restored to your position with the king. And, he said, and Joseph said, he's a human being. And he said, when you're restored, remember me. 
In the end of Genesis 40, the last verse, the cupbearer was restored as Joseph has, had predicted. And it says, but he did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And Joseph stayed in prison two more years before God moved. But God did move and eventually brought the whole family there to Egypt. And 400 years later, they're suffering under slavery in Egypt. They'd grown to be more than a million people. And God calls Moses, the story of the burning bush. And in the conversation God has with Moses, at that time, he says to him, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know what God said to him? I will be with you. Go. Obey me. Trust me. I'll be with you. Some 40 years later, the Israelites, because of their sin, had had to stay in the wilderness for a long time. And Moses is about to be called home to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Joshua is about to take over, a time of transition. Lots still left to do, promise still unfulfilled. They hadn't even gotten into the promised land yet. Big shoes to fill for Joshua. Must have been afraid. It says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now remember, Joshua had been one of the, uh, only two of the twelve who had gone to look at the land, who had come back and said, yes, we can do it. Now it's been a long time, though. And I'm sure Satan was trying to gnaw at him with doubt and fear and trepidation. You can't lead these people. You can't do this job. This job's too big for you. But God encourages him. How does he encourage him? You go down to verse 5 of that same chapter, Joshua chapter 1. He says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's, the, that's the foundation that God gives. Three times after that, he says, be strong and courageous. But he doesn't say work up strength and courage on your own. Strength and courage come because he's with Joshua. And he says in verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore, swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why not? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So he didn't say the going will always be easy, but he said he'll keep him going. He'll be with him. And on it goes, all through Scripture. Isaiah chapter 43, 
prophecy to the whole nation. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It doesn't say you'll never face waters, never face opposition, never face difficulty. It says, I'll be with you. Verse 5 of Isaiah 43 says, do not be afraid, for I'm with you. That's the promise we have from Scripture, the promise of God's presence. From God to His chosen people. And now to us, all who are His chosen ones. How do you become a chosen one? How are you a chosen one? By what definition? If you're a person of faith, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're one of His chosen. You're one of those who will inherit the promise. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear. Now why would He say that? Unless there was something to fear. There's always things in our lives. On this side of heaven, we live in a broken down, sin-corrupted world. But he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you believe that? That's the word of God. Now, too often I'm speaking for myself now. Too often I fail to live in the power of His presence, even though it's promised to me free of charge. Even though I've experienced it, I fail to live in the power of His presence too often because I get pulled down by and pulled into the challenges and burdens and uncertainties of the day. Does that happen to you? It happens to me. Things want to pull me away. I found a remedy. Spend time with Him. Spend time with Him. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Listen to the Spirit of God. Revelation 3, 20. We often quote it in evangelism, but it was written to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door and come in, I will come in and I will fellowship with Him and He with me. Jesus wants to fellowship with us. He wants us to live in the power freely available to us, the power of His presence. That's why He had Paul write the words in his letter to the church in Rome that we find in Romans chapter 8. Turn in your Bible there with me, Romans chapter 8. We're not going to look at the beginning of that chapter, but it's a great encouragement. Sometimes they have a little uh, subtitle or headline in your Bible above chapter 8. Mine says, Life Through the Spirit. And it's about our relationship to God and the power of His Spirit in our lives. But I want to go to a verse that's very familiar to most of us. This is about living in the power of God's presence. Over and over again in Scripture, it says, God says, I will be with you. I am with you as you follow me, as you trust me, as you obey me. That's where our courage comes from. And so in verse 28 of Romans 8, written to the called out ones, the church. That's all church means, the called out ones, the believers, the chosen one, all of us who have faith to believe. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Again there, it doesn't say the going will always be easy, but it says it will always go well for those who go with God. It will always help to accomplish His purpose. God will never fail those who turn to Him. And go down to verse 31 then. 
And it says, what then shall we say in response to this, to this truth of God's presence with us and his purpose to work all things together for the good of those who love him? What shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is a, is a screaming, no, no one, nothing. No one can oppose God and be successful. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He will. If he gave us his son, won't he give us the rest? Won't he fulfill his promise? Yes, he will. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that. See what it says there? Who was raised from the dead. Raised to life. It says two very important things about Jesus here. He was raised to life and is at the right hand of God. He's risen to his position of authority over all else. His work is completed. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God in authority. But look what it says right after that. What does he do actively, day by day, moment by moment for each one of us? It says he intercedes for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says he lives to intercede for you. Imagine that. The creator of the universe is interceding for you right now. What are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? What distracts me from pressing in and obeying the truth that I know? Because Jesus is at the right hand of God in his position of authority over all creation and because he's interceding for us, it goes on and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or anything you can describe that's going on in your life. Paul quotes a scripture. He says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. He's talking about persecution that we're facing then. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says, basically the same thing that David wrote in Psalm 23 about not fearing evil. He says, no, the reason not to fear evil, because God is with us, because we have the presence of Christ. In all these things, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our power promise, the epitome, the epitome and the embodiment of God with us. We're more than conquerors, more than conquerors because of what Christ did for us and because of what Christ does for us and because nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from his presence or the power of his presence in our lives. You can put that in your spiritual bank and just draw on it continuously. It'll never run out. That's what I'm, I need to tell myself to do. I encourage you the same today. Nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us.
Amen? Father in heaven, we just thank you this morning for the truth of your word, for the power of your presence in our lives. It's so easy, Lord, to drift away from your presence and to ignore the fact that you stand ready and are ready to meet us in our need, to meet us in our challenge, to meet us in our uncertainty, and to fill us with courage and perseverance and faith and power and peace. And so we come to you this morning, Lord, and we just ask that you would meet us where we are. Lord, meet us in our joys and our opportunities, meet us in our challenges and our difficulties, and direct us in the way that we should go. And help us to walk faithfully and obediently in the steps that you've ordained for us, that your will and your purpose might be accomplished in our lives. Ask for your blessing upon each person here and upon each family represented here. We lift up Rich and Paul and ask for your blessing upon them and all of the extended church family, those who aren't here with us this morning. We pray for your church around the world. We know we have many brothers and sisters who are undergoing the type of persecution we read about in the book of Acts. We pray for their comfort, for their encouragement, for their protection. We pray for your will to be done in each of our lives and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.